If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel according to Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 24 again, and we'll pick up in verse 13 today. Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. And we're going to continue our journey through Luke today. And looking ahead, we're probably only going to be in Luke one, maybe two more weeks, and then we're going to be finished with our study. And I don't know about you, but it, it seems like it's been a long journey uh, hopefully it's been a beneficial one to you. I, I, I have benefited from it. Hopefully you have as well. Uh, remember where we were last week. Last week was Easter. And it seems like so long ago that it was Easter Sunday, but that was just last week. And even though it seems maybe like it was a long time ago, the part that we're going to pick up today, uh, pick up in today in verse 13 and following happened that first Easter Sunday. So, of course, last week we read about the women going to the tomb, finding it empty and, and all the events that surrounded that. What we're going to pick up in today is just later that same day. And, um, and, and you remember what happened. The, the women went to the tomb. Uh, they found it empty. The angels told them that Jesus was, uh, was alive. They went back and told the apostles. Peter and John went and checked it out and saw that the tomb was, in fact, empty. And, of course, it was empty because Jesus had risen from the dead. Um, Peter went away. He was kind of scratching his head. The Bible says that he went away, went away marveling at what had happened. And so what we're going to look at today happens later that same day. Maybe a matter of hours after this all happened is where we pick up. So if you found Luke 24 uh, and verse 13 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word. And we'll read uh, down to verse 35. It says, And behold, two of them, that's two of the uh, disciple band, not, not, the, uh, not the apostles, but some of the, some of the folks that followed Jesus, and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words which, that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to, the, said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us, uh, when, when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also uh, had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, 
and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he, is recognized, and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> Now, I've broken our text into four main sections, and the first one I want you to see is the downcast disciples. The downcast disciples. Now, if you look back at verse 13 and following, two of the disciples go from Jerusalem to a little town of Emmaus. We don't know why they were going. Maybe they were originally from Emmaus. Maybe they had been there for the, uh, for the, the, the Passover feast, and there were still some days of unleavened bread they were going to celebrate but they didn't want to stay in town because it was too crowded. We don't know why they were going to Emmaus, but, but that's where they were headed. And we only know what one of their names is, and that's Cleopas. The other disciple is a mystery. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about who this mystery disciple was. Some people have thought maybe it was Peter. Uh, I don't believe it was him because when they get back, the, uh, the disciples tell these guys, the Lord has appeared to Peter. So that's, that's, not, that's not him. But, uh, but there's an ancient tradition, and, and I, I wonder if maybe it's not the case. There's an ancient, ancient tradition that says that the other disciple that's, that's not named here is actually Luke. And, and it could be that Luke, was uh, the, the one who wrote this gospel, was there on the road to Emmaus, and he got this account firsthand because he saw it with his own eyes. But anyway, they head towards Emmaus, which is a few miles from Jerusalem. And as they're traveling, they're talking. Nothing, nothing weird about that, but namely they're talking about Jesus and, and, and all the stuff that had happened that weekend. This Jesus that they had trusted in, this Jesus that they had placed their hope in, he had been crucified and their, their hopes were dashed. They, they were torn up about it. And as they're walking along, you'll notice that Jesus shows up and begins to travel with them. Verse 16, if you'll, you'll notice what it says, it says their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Notice that is a passive thing. They didn't prevent themselves from recognizing him. They, didn't, they, they weren't closing their eyes to the fact. They were being acted upon by an outside force. And Mark 16, 12 says that it mentions this encounter. Mark 16 does. And it mentions this encounter in passing. And, and verse 12 of that chapter says that Jesus appeared to them in a different form. And so we don't know uh, what, this, what this difference was, but it kept them from recognizing who Jesus was for the time being. So he shows up, and he asks them what they're talking about. And notice his question stops them in their tracks. The Bible says that they stopped, and they, they, stopped and they looked sad. They, they looked sad. They, they were downcast. They were heartbroken. Now, look again at verses 18 and 19. He says, what are you talking about? And it's inconceivable to them that anybody, anybody who had been even in the area around Jerusalem, would not know about this stuff that happened to, to Jesus. And look at verse 18. And notice the question of Cleopas. Now, now, before we do that, there are certain people in the Bible that are so identified with something that they do or especially things that they say, even if it's just a single line, you know, if you hear the line, who it is that said it. And I'll prove it. Who was it? And this, this is a give me. This is an easy one to easy into this. Who was it that denied even knowing who Jesus was? Peter, Peter right? I mean, that, that's, that's, give me, that's from Easter. That was just last week, or two weeks ago when we looked at it. Okay, um, who was it that told King David, this one's a little bit harder, you are the man. You remember that? He, about the sin with Bathsheba? Nathan the prophet. You may recognize the line, may not be able to remember the name. Um, who said, 
I won't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and I'm paraphrasing, unless I see the, the nail prints in his hands and the, the wound in his side. Thomas, doubting Thomas, what we call him. Now here is Cleopas, verse 18. Forever is going to be remembered for his question to Jesus. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened to Jesus? Now think about that. Cleopas is asking Jesus, are, are you, do you not know about the crucifixion? Think about what he's asking and who he's asking it to. He's asking the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the only one who actually knows everything that happened with the crucifixion. Of course, he doesn't realize he's talking to Jesus, but, 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 but that is, that, he just can't believe that somebody wouldn't know about what's happened. He, he puts his foot in his mouth in a, in a big way, and I'm sure that none of the disciple band ever gave him a hard time about it after that. But anyway, so we, we have this question, and notice, notice the answer. Verse 19, and he said, what things? And I, I can just imagine Jesus almost probably has to hide his face to keep from laughing. What, 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 are, you, what are you talking about? What, what things happened in Jerusalem? What, what do you mean? What, what things are you, uh, what, what, tell, tell me more about this. And so, so he begins to, they, they begin to tell him about all these things that happened to, to Jesus. So we have the downcast disciples. Next I want you to see their dashed hopes. Dashed hopes. So they began to tell him all about Jesus, like he doesn't know. And, and notice verse 19, the words just kind of tumble out. This is not a, a carefully crafted story. It's not some kind of prose that somebody spent a long time trying to, trying to make uh, flow and everything. This, you know, sometimes when you're real upset, your mind just jumps from one thing to another. And, and when you're talking, if somebody doesn't know all that you're talking about, it, it can seem kind of disjointed. That's, what he's, that's what's going on here. These guys are talking, and, well, this happened, and then this happened, and it's just thing after thing after thing, and it's come from all over the place. This is, this is just real-life stuff. They are upset. Their, their world's upside down. Their dreams are shattered. And look at what they say. They say that Jesus was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. In other words, he, he was incredibly eloquent. Nobody talked like Jesus. Nobody taught the word of God like Jesus. He was mighty in power. He, he, he not only taught well, but he also worked miracles like nobody else could do. He made the blind to see. He made the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. He even raised the dead. He made the filthy to become clean and, and, and the sinner to be forgiven. He did what nobody else could do because he was like nobody else was. And so, so, so they looked at, at, at Jesus, didn't recognize they were talking to him, and they're telling him how great of a, of a person Jesus was. But then verse 21, look at what it says. And notice especially the tense of the verbs. Verse 21 says, But we were hoping. Past tense. Now we are hoping. Now we do hope. We were hoping. We placed all of our trust, all of our hope. We, put, we, we were all in on Jesus. And now, that's all gone. Our, our dreams, our, our hopes, our aspirations, they're all dead. Now I just want to pause and say, that may be you today. Maybe, maybe you're on the verge of losing hope. Not that God's going to bring a, a Messiah to, 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 to redeem you know, the, the nation or to overthrow an oppressive regime. I mean, that's what their hope was. You look at verse 21. We were hoping, what, that, that, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, that he was going to overthrow the Romans. And it could be that you had been counting on God to do such and such a thing, not the particulars are going to be different, but your hope was still in the same place. But yet God, 
just like here, hasn't acted the way you thought he would act. You know, sometimes we come up with a plan. We say, God, here's my, here's my problem. And just in case you're a little busy, here's a good way that you can fix that for me. And here, here is my, here's my roadmap to success. Here is, here's the way. Now, I know you can do whatever you want, and I know that you will. But here's what I'd really like. And then we insist that that's the way God do it. And then if he doesn't do it that way, if he doesn't act in the time, we, we say, God, do it however you want by Friday at 4 o'clock. I mean, we, your will be done just as long as it's on my timetable. I mean, we, we do all these different things in, in, in our minds and our prayers. And then when God doesn't do those things the way that we think or in the time frame in which we want it to be done, sometimes we get kind of disillusioned. And these guys... They put their hopes in Jesus, and God didn't do what they were expecting. They didn't, he didn't do what they were wanting. He was doing something bigger, something better, but they missed it because they were, they were so focused on, on their ideas, their plans. And, and it may be that you have some need in your life, some, some desire that you've been praying about, and you say, God, this is what I want done. This is the way I want it done. This is when I, this is when I want it done. So if you get on that, that'd be great. And then when it doesn't happen, we get disillusioned. Let me tell you, you don't know the end of the story yet. These guys were hoping Jesus would free him from Rome, but his mission was not to free him from Rome, it was to free him from sin. Listen, you can, you can be free from sin even if you're not free from Rome. You can have a change of spiritual reality even if your circumstances haven't yet changed. And so Jesus was doing something that they didn't understand, they didn't expect, and and and. And they were expecting him to do something over here, but he was doing something over there is a lot better. And likewise, you may be expecting God to do such and such in, in this place, but he may be doing something, uh, something a lot bigger and better over there. What I'm saying is don't lose heart because the story ain't over yet. So the second thing we see is dashed dreams. The third thing I want you to see are dull hearts and minds. Dull hearts and minds. Look at verses 21 and following. Right at the end of verse 21. But we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Now, why did they mention that? Because they knew there was something rattling around their mind that there's something special about this third day. Now, it should have been front and center in their minds, right? Because Jesus had told them, hey, on the third day, I'm, I'm rising again. But instead, it was kind of one of those little facts that was rolling around, you know, there's, there's something special about that. I can't remember what it is. I just don't know what it is. I, 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 know, I, know, there's, I know this is what he said, but, but you know, we, we just don't get it. So, so understand, here, here's, what, here's what's going on. These guys, because it looks like Jesus is pretty harsh in, their, in his response, right? Because he, he calls them foolish men. Verse 25, your Bible may say, fools. Now, when we say fool, there's, there's an element of contempt. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount told us not to call people fools for that very reason. And so you may look at this and say, well, Jesus, are you not practicing what you preach? In the original language, the word that's translated in, into English as fool back in the Sermon on the Mount when he says don't call people fools is one word. The word that's used here is a different word. He's not violating his own principle. The word that he's using here has the idea of, of not seeing. Or if you see, you don't perceive what you're seeing. You don't really grasp 
what you're seeing. You don't get it. And so, so Jesus is talking to these men. And notice, notice why he says this to them. They say, you know what? It's the third day. And, and nothing has happened. It's the third day. I mean, yeah, it's the third day. And I mean, we did, there were some women that went out. And they went to the tomb and they said it was empty. And then they came back and not only that, but they also said that the, the angel showed up and said it was empty. And the reason it was empty is because that Jesus was alive. And then, you know, even though all that happened, we also had some disciples, two of the most prominent disciples, Peter and John, went out. And they found it just like the women said. But you know what? We just decided we'd just go on home anyhow. We just, we're just going to go on and leave town and, and, and we're, we're just going to go somewhere else. It makes you want to grab them by the shoulders and just shake them vigorously, doesn't it? Just, what is wrong with you? Why wouldn't you see what's going on? And Jesus says, you foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Not only are you slow to understand, not only are you slow on the uptake, so to speak, of all the things that I've said, Jesus, you know, that Jesus said, not only the things that, that Peter and John told you, not only the things that the angels told you, not only the things that the women told you, but also all the things that are written in the scriptures. Yes, they understood the Bible to a point. They could read it, they could understand the words on the page, but they didn't understand how, they didn't perceive how it applied to, pointed ahead to Jesus. And so Jesus then, in, in verse 27, begins to do a Bible study with them. As they walk along, he starts with Moses. Now, that's the first inspired writer of the, of the Old Testament. He wrote Genesis. My guess is he probably started with Genesis chapter 3. When, when God made a promise to the serpent after Adam and Eve sinned, he said, I'll, I'll send the seed of a woman who will bruise the head of the serpent. My guess is that's where he started. I don't know that. But my guess is he started there, went through all the Old Testament, especially the book of Leviticus, all these types and shadows with the sacrificial system, how they point ahead to his death on the cross, and all these prophecies that told about his death, uh, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, and, and all these different texts that pointed ahead to Jesus. And he worked his way through all the Old Testament and told them about the Messiah. Now he doesn't say, hey, he, he's not pointing to himself saying, this is about me. He's saying, this is about the Messiah. He's going to let them make the connection here in just a little bit. So they understood to a point, but they didn't grasp that all pointed ahead to Jesus. Now, I really, of, of all the things that I wish that I w- would have been recorded in Scripture, this is one of them that I really wish would have been recorded in Scripture. Because this would have been incredible to see the Old Testament opened up for us like that. But this does highlight a couple things. First, while it's not recorded here, the Scripture that he pointed to is still there. His explanation of the scripture is not there. It would have been great to have the living word explain the written word, to apply the written word to himself. But the fact of the matter is that we too can study that same written word that he pointed to. And it will still point to to the same Jesus. The word hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. It's still there. It's like a, a treasure waiting to be uncovered. Have you ever had those times whenever you, you, you read the scripture and all of a sudden you have the, the aha moment? It's like, ah, how did I never see that before? It's always been there. Second, 
It tells us the Bible is all about Jesus. The Bible's all about Jesus. That's what he said. He said, the scriptures are all pointing to me. All these great big flashing signs saying, Jesus, Jesus. Now, it's easy to see how the Gospels are about Jesus because they're a record of his life, his ministry, his teachings, and, and so forth. But, but, but even the Old Testament point ahead to Jesus. They, it, it may be a type or a shadow that, that points ahead to him. It may be a prophecy that talks about his ministry. It may be like Psalm 22 that talks about his hands and his feet being pierced and so forth. It's more explicit in, in, in its prophecy about him. It may be an event in the life of, of a person or the life of, of the nation that takes us one step closer to the cross. In the New Testament, it's an application many times in, in the, the, the letters of Paul. It's an application of what Jesus has done on the cross, the gospel being applied to daily life. It may be a call to believe on Jesus, his imminent return. I mean, all the scriptures point to Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying, that the scriptures all testify to me. Now, you can read the scriptures, you can, you, you can understand the black words on a white page, but if you don't recognize that they're all about Jesus in some shape, form, or fashion, you'll not fully get it. So, now, now I just want to tell you, sometimes people try and find themselves in the Bible. You're in there. It's your sin that put him on the cross. This is not about you and it's not about me. It's about him. So, we have the downcast disciples. We, we have dashed dreams. We have dull hearts and minds. The last thing I want you to see is the dawning of their understanding. The dawning of their understanding. They get to Emmaus. And Jesus is fixing to go on. He's prepared to go on. But they insist he spend the night because he's getting late. So he stops with them. And even though he's the guest, he takes the place of the host. Now, this is, this is not some sacramental meal that they have. This is not the Lord's Supper. What we see here is just daily life, daily Jewish life at the time. When they would have a meal, they would ask God to bless it. They would thank him for it. They would break bread and, 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 and give it to one another. And, and even today, if, if, if you were, in, at least in more traditional homes, you may have somebody that you know well that's uh, uh, maybe in ministry or maybe they're, they're well-known in, in uh, Christian life, and you have them over for a meal, you may ask them, hey, would, would you bless the food? Would, would you pray and, and, and thank God for the food for us? Would you say grace? That's basically what they're doing. And so they ask him, or at least he takes over, and he takes the place of a host, breaks the bread, and it's in this meal that their eyes are opened to who he is. And it's in that moment he vanishes from their sight. Now again, notice their eyes are opened. They don't open their own eyes. This is something that happens to them from the outside. This is something that happens to them from uh, an outside force. They weren't responsible for their ability to grasp spiritual truth. It was granted to them by God. And the same thing is true today. You're not going to understand the things of God unless God helps you or enlightens your mind. And if you grasp spiritual truth, a moment ago I mentioned the aha moment. If you've had that aha moment, it's not because you're incredibly smart. You may be smart and attractive and all those things, but that doesn't help you to understand the scriptures. You have to have the Spirit of God enlighten your mind. The, Bible, uh, the theologians call that illumination. It's like walking around in a, in a dark room and all of a sudden you flip the light on and all of a sudden you see it all before you. 
That is what happens. The Spirit of God opens the Word of God to the people of God. Now, even though it's late, they, they, they recognize who He is, but even though it's late, they say, you know what, we've got to go back and tell somebody. And they gather up all their stuff, and they make that seven-mile trip back to Jerusalem. And, and look, at, look at what happens. Verse 33, they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who, and, and those, uh, who are with them, saying, The Lord has really risen. And has appeared to Simon. And they get back and they, are, they find out Jesus already made an appearance. He's already showed up to Peter. And I think that's significant that Jesus... Now, Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 15, that, that Jesus appeared specifically to Peter one-on-one. None of the other Gospels, none of the Gospels record that event. It, and I think it's significant that Jesus made a special personal one-on-one visit with Peter, the one who denied the Lord, the one who no doubt felt unworthy to be part of uh, Jesus' band of of followers. And it may be that you too feel unworthy to be his follower. Maybe, like Peter, you've denied the Lord. Maybe you have uh, maybe not denied the Lord, but maybe you've just... Maybe you've sinned in some way, and, and you feel unworthy to be used in ministry. You feel unworthy worthy to be called a Christian. Listen, there's restoration. Jesus didn't show up to Peter to, to kick him while he was down. There was forgiveness. There was restoration. And it could also be that even today, like these disciples, for the first time you're having your eyes opened. For the first time, you're, you're seeing that you need a Savior, that you are a sinner. Listen, you didn't come to that conclusion on your own. The devil sure didn't tell you. That is something that God has opened your mind to understand. So the proper response to that is faith. Turn to Christ for salvation. And if you've never done that, do that today. I want you to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I, I, again, I've asked you this a number of times, but I'll ask you again, to take stock of your spiritual life. Have you ever had your spiritual eyes opened so you see your sin and your need of a Savior? The Bible says that each and every one of us, that means me, and that means you, is a sinner before God. You've broken God's law. We've rebelled against Him. We've turned and gone our own way. But the Bible also says that the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. In our griefs, He Himself bore, our sorrows He carried. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. 
In other words, Jesus took your place. He died on the cross. He suffered that you would not have to if you'll put your faith in Him. It's not a magical formula. It's just simple trust in Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have provided a way uh, for salvation for sinners. And Lord, I ask that if there's somebody who's here me today that's never accepted Christ as their Savior, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would convict their hearts, that you would save them, Lord. And God, for those of us who are believers, and maybe we've wandered off to the far country, we've uh, not been living like we should, God, I pray that you would help us to find that restoration that Peter experienced. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.